Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to episode 47 of the Stream Bucket Podcast. 47. Yes. Yeah. Great. <coughs> it's not great. Is it not? I'm not happy. What's the matter? This today, you should have Nick here, and I should be in a field in Somerset on another planet. And I'm not, because Glastonbury was cancelled. So oh, I'm here, dear. had a horrible week at work, and this is probably the time I hate coronavirus more than any other, right now. Oh dear. <laughs> you wouldn't have made Glastonbury. No, but well, I would have... Listen to your voice. Nothing would stop me. Nothing would stop me from getting to my hallowed ground. Yeah, okay. Oh but dear. Instead, I'm stuck here, topless, with you, topless. Oh yes, yeah, I've bloody saunas why it's the freaking hottest day of the year god damn it's not even that hot yeah it's like 35 degrees normally and this year 31 oh dear it's so oh, hot oh god never mind <laughs> um uh, yeah what's going on what's going on with you uh well i'm all right i don't have this weird pool to glastonbury <sighs> i stay here and do the job sir you <laughs> Not going to finish that sentence. What have you been watching? Uh, what have I been watching? Nothing that we haven't already discussed. I can't remember if I brought up that I'd finished Mandalorian. The, the, the last episode. Oh, the ending's really good. Directed by Taika Waititi as well. Who now we know is actually going on to do proper Star Wars. Mandalorian is the best thing Star Wars has ever done. In fact, it... Oh, what I haven't mentioned. I tried watching uh, New Hope. Going back to the beginning. That was good. Actually, is slightly bored. It's dull, isn't it? Like, I just wanted to watch Mandalorian do cool things. I need to. I stopped watching Mandalorian at the boring episode with the Atats and the or whatever the hell they're called, um, and the farmers. Yep, that's when I stopped as well. So you have to keep going through that, and then it becomes amazing again. Yeah, although weirdly, because I wondered if that was the same with everyone. Apparently, everyone stopped watching the next episode after that. Huh. Which I thought was okay. It was a bit rubbish, but. Yeah, it's got this weird sag in the middle. It yeah. starts on such a high and just goes... And then it goes back up the top. I guess it's filler, isn't it? <clears throat> I guess so. But it's only got, what, eight episodes? They could have pulled out an extra hour of quality content. Surely. Yeah, true, true, true. Surely. But yes, I suppose. Then again, the new sequel trilogy didn't even manage one hour of entertainment in three films. Uh, no, it didn't. Well, satire. Because it sucks. Satire. Mm, but yeah, other than that, I don't know what I've been watching. I bought a big stack of DVDs. Nice. Because I think we're just talking about stuff we hadn't seen in a while. I'm still waiting on Fifth Element. Do you know how hard it is to find Fifth Element? Do you know why? Because it's the Fifth Element. But uh, love, love is not all around us. Well, no, because he has to arrive on a spaceship and mm. be rebuilt by a big 3D printer. Exactly. Ah, I love Fifth Element. It's the, one of the best sci-fi. It's fun. It's goofy. It's got weird costumes. It's very camp. Yeah. It's marvellous. Yeah. yeah. Very hard to find. Hmm. Bit weird. Anyway, yeah. What have you been watching? Uh, I've been, like, going mental with Korean films. <clears throat> and I watched um, Train to Busan, which is highly regarded. And I don't know how well, I haven't mm-hmm. watched it before. So one of the favourite cult zombie films of the last sort of decade, I suppose. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was really good. It was, the, I, in a way, despite not being very gory, it's more um, difficult to watch than any other film. Because 
you've got an odious character in it who you really, really want to die and get his comeuppance, and he just keeps on screwing everything up and getting everyone killed. Yeah. It's a hard watch, in a good way. Like, um, you know, there's, uh, there's payoffs and so forth, but it's, it's savage. It's a savage movie. I'd say that with zombie films, gore is... You either want it to be gory and then you're being wowed by the special effects, or it doesn't really matter if it's gory. It's the connection because people have been killed in such savage. You know, there's nothing worse than being eaten alive. And only sort of bond with a character, and you're in any zombie film, you're keeping your fingers crossed that they don't get bit. Yeah. And you're banking on them not getting bit. And as soon as they get bit, it kind of shatters you for a while. You're like, damn it! I wasn't. I wanted them to live. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting point. Zombie films, it's worse to be bitten and still be alive than to just be to ripped apart. Yeah, because you can write them off. Yeah, yeah. As soon as they're that's bit. That's interesting. As soon as they're bit, you're like, oh no, how are they going to go out? Are they going to go out? What are they going to do? They've only got so much time left to redeem themselves or die what? or, you know. One of my favourite zombie films is called Colin, which yes. is about the zombie. And it's not gory at all. It's If anything, it's really sad. Mm. It was made on, like, no budget. It was all volunteers and stuff. Really, really good watch. Colin, it, I picked it up in Poundland, I think. Mm. Ages ago. No, you've been banging on at me to watch that for ages. I have to give it a watch. It's so understated it's so I mean you can tell that it's got no budget mm. but look over that quite easily but yeah no really really good uh, but yeah nice. you've been watching you gave uh, Street Trash a, a spin as well didn't you Street Trash <clears throat> the person I was watching it fell asleep so I only got halfway through but I got as far as uh, penis being chopped off and um, you know when bullies in the playground will steal your favourite ball and then throw it to one another and you're chasing after the person who's got the ball and then they just throw it to someone else. They were doing that with a penis the last time uh, I was, uh, you know, watching it. But <laughs> Yeah, Street Trash, as you can tell, is an 80s cult ridiculous gore fest. But the best character in it is the antagonist who's like a Vietnam vet turned uh, dump king. Yes. <laughs> he's the leader of the, he's the king of the trash and he keeps having these Vietnam flash I love a Vietnam flashback. I really do. And he has plenty of them. Again, do you reckon we'll start seeing it's kind of are, but it's always told a bit more seriously, but like Afghanistan flashbacks. Will that be the next Ooh. sort of trope or will we always be Vietnam? I hope I hope we stick with I think Vietnam is such a solid trope now. I think Wonder Shows and well, there, Wonder Chosen, and nailed, nailed it for me. There's all these kids, like, in a room going, ah, and crying <laughs> and stuff, and then some kid says over the top, You're never too young to have a Vietnam flashback. Yeah. Nothing can top, no, there's no other kind of flashback that can get in there now after that, because but it's so funny. Do the kids out there on the Costa del Wimmel Hill, would they know Vietnam? No, no, I suppose not. Maybe, I mean, maybe the film nerds would go and watch Apocalypse Now and be savvy. But is that going to start dying out? Like, it used to be... When I was watching TV as a kid, it was always talked about. Because mm. it was so fresh. Yeah. It was probably the last big war, I suppose, at yeah, the time. Yeah, true. Yeah, speaking of, the, the hill in Hitchin has become a uh, hive of scum and villainy of <clears throat> 16 to 24-year-olds, probably. There's... My scouts have reported back to me. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a person. There's a couple of people up there. Who the have, Trebane from Dunlow. Yeah, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> they have got speakers up there. The power of which could supply an entire London. It could supply fabric with sound. Yeah. And it plays until freaking one o'clock in the morning. 
and it vibrates the ground. <laughs> and there's hundreds of them. And it, what, there's a point where I just want to yell, YOU DAMN KIDS GET THE HELL OFF MY LAWN! And then I realised it was me. Ten years ago, but minus the stupid freaking speaker. Not even ten years ago, man. Well, yeah, five, three years ago, last week. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It, it's really, it's a very defining thing. I think you realise maybe, maybe you realise you're grown up when you're the one getting up to work mm. the next morning and you can't do that. Oh, absolutely. Is that the line? Is That's that what we've crossed? Bitterness. There's shades of bitterness and envy and. Um, uh, a reminding of your own mortality <laughs> as these carefree youths See, I don't, have fun. I don't mind as much. The thing that pisses me off is the the litter. Oh, mate. I actually went out and picked up a load of beer bottles the other day because it was like, this is ridiculous. You're a good citizen. That means I'm, I now know that I'm 31 years old. Yeah. Ugh. But yeah, no, that's, that annoyed me. Yeah. I don't really mind the music. It doesn't bother me That's too because your bed isn't exact right by the window. Oh. Oh, dear. You, you piece of... <laughs> what, are we, what are we talking about on the show today? Okay, so what have we got? So last time we did my film pick, because it was my birthday show, we did Tremors, but we forgot to choose a word uh, for today. So uh, we went ahead and did it on our Patreon-exclusive Screen Bucket podcast, Night Shift. Uh, and you chose the word... Engaged. Yes. But you made a mistake. You made a grave mistake. You chose a book about Middle Earth. Yes. And as soon as I saw the Middle Earth book, I saw a window to make the film Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and I found Engaged, and I thought, well, ring? Engagement ring. Engaging in a quest. Oh, you did not. Yeah. You picked up the Lord of the Rings book, you found Erebor, refused <laughs> to change the word, because that is a noun. So yeah. I gave you another book, and it was engaging. And you went, oh, well, uh, so I said Star Trek, and you threatened to kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> if, we, if this ended up being Star Trek, I would have killed myself. <laughs> Erebor would have got us The Hobbit, which would have been arguably, oh, yeah, arguably true, worse. True. So, yes, yeah, so Rob's chosen... The best film of all time. Lords of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh... Bar none... I wouldn't even say it's the best of a trilogy. Yes, it is. Okay, we'll talk about it a bit later. What else we got going on? We've got uh, we got the sound of Fortnite Schmort night. A lot of goss about um, projects springing back to life around the planet. Um, we're going to talk about Bardcore. Bardcore, yay! Oh god, what else? That's about it. And obviously reviews from me and Nick as well. So yes, we might as well get straight into it. Here's my review of Escape from New York. Ooh. Retro Review Adam's Retro Film Reviews Escape from New York, 1981 New York, 1997 The entire city is a walled maximum security prison The bridges are mined The rivers are patrolled And the United States Police Force has everything under control they think. I'm going in. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the high adventure of the future. One man must go in where no man has ever gotten out. And if 
he comes back alone, his nightmare has just begun. Who are you? John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Heard you were dead. Recently re-released with a shiny new 4K restoration, Escape from New York is a dystopian sci-fi action film written and directed and notably scored by John Carpenter. Starring Kurt Russell in the lead role of Snake Plissken, Escape from New York depicts a dark future of 1997, where crime has overtaken the United States and forced Manhattan to be walled off from the rest of the world, turning possibly the most expensive piece of American real estate into one massive prison. Whatever your crime, whether you stab a cop or steal a buck, you're shipped off to New York and left to fend for yourself. If you don't choose to euthanize yourself in the processing facility first. It's a grim, dark future and it's about to get even worse. There are several hints that there's an ongoing war between America and its allies and the Soviet Union. And while the president is on his way to a peace summit, Air Force One is hijacked by a terrorist group protesting the fascist police state. Taking control of the president's aircraft, Air Force One crashes somewhere in New York. The president, played by Donald Pleasance, manages to escape certain death but is swiftly captured and hidden by the unhinged prisoners within. Enter Snake Plissken, the decorated war hero with near psychopathic levels of badassery and recent convicts having tried to break into the Federal Reserve. He's well known and catches the attention of Police Commissioner Bob Hawke, played by Lee Van Cleef. Snake is given a choice. Either go into New York and be written off by the world, or go in, rescue the president and get him out within 24 hours and walk free. To stop Snake from just legging it, Hawk introduces a new twist. Two microscopic explosives injected directly into Snake's arteries. If he doesn't get out within 22 hours, boom. So, armed to the teeth, a ticking clock on his wrist and a snarl wider than the Brooklyn Bridge, Snake is sent into New York to save the president. Cause minor property damage and brutally murder some fools, meeting weird and wonderful characters, Ernest Borgnine's cabbie, Harry Dean Stanton's brain and of course, Isaac Hayes, the Duke. Escape from New York is many things, but action movie, it is not. Despite the eyepatch wearing anti-hero, despite the guns, the camo and the setup, Escape from New York is actually very reserved in the way it tells the story. To my knowledge, Escape from New York is the only 80s action film I can think of where the hero at one point just sits down and waits for something to happen. See, that's the strength of Escape from New York. It's the atmosphere. John Carpenter's dark synth score plods along, almost as reluctant as the hero, while the backdrop of a ruined city lit to perfection. Where schlocky action and terrible effects age badly, the plodding darkness of Escape from New York has a timeless quality and one that's inspired countless films, books, games and more, with the likes of William Gibson, J.J. Abrams and Hideo Kojima openly admitting to the influence Escape from New York has had on them. Kurt Russell's performance as Snake Plissken is the keystone that holds the film together. Modelled somewhere between the exterminator and Clint Eastwood, Snake Plissken is the dictionary definition of badass anti-hero and his look and persona has bled into popular culture, whether you know where it comes from or not. The State of New York has long been a favourite film of mine, and if you want something a little less on the nose than your standard 80s action film, this is absolutely the one. 
For what it's worth, the recent restoration work on this film is definitive. It looks and sounds phenomenal, and I urge you to pick it up if you want to experience John Carpenter at his best. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the greatest escape of them all, is about to blow the future apart. <sighs> Why are you yawning? Because it's hot in here. It is hot. Uh, luckily, this hot cup of coffee will keep me down. I'm annoyed. I'm still annoyed. Why are you annoyed? Because of the, because f- of the bardcore. What's wrong with bardcore? It's just I hate. I hate everything. It's <laughs> it's cool, right? I just hate everything that it stands for. What is it? Well, okay. So hang on. What is bardcore? Bardcore is, um, as far as I can understand, it is the taking of modern music. Whisking it back to medieval times and adding uh, medieval instruments instead of modern instruments to create the yeah. songs again. Yeah, it's awesome. It's all harps. No, and... it's horrible. Because I, the thing is, I don't want to insult it because I know half of our fan base is going to be really into it. Yes, half so of us are really into it. Half of us are really into bloody it. Bloody love it. I can just imagine a load of larpers. They've just been out <laughs> doing a freaking fight with their stupid sticks. I'm not having a go at the LARPers. I think I would like oh to... Oh, my tr- God. It's turning to Pete and Doug. I, w- <laughs> <laughs> I would like to try LARPing once. No, I've got nothing wrong with LARPers. Right? I've, got an, I've, got, I've got an ulcer. Right, I've got an ulcer. I've got an ulcer in my cheek and it really hurts. It's one of those, fla- it's one of those flaps. Do you know where you get an ulcer flap? No, no, I'm not. 70 years old. What do you mean? Do you not get a flap? No. Do you not get a flap in your mouth? No. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move past the flap. Okay. I don't like the (laughs) idea of the LARPers coming back to their local stupid Bristol pub and they say to the barkeeper who's got a big beard, oh, Turn off the metal, Kevin. We've just been LARPing. Can you put on some of the bardcore and pour us five ales? And Kevin pours. He does as he's told because he's a little bitch. I'm sure we, I'm sure we can say bitch. Um, I'm, and I just I don't like that culture but in no, my but, ears. But hang on a minute, though, because every music's done this. You get metal covers of every song. I know, but I just uh, the, don't the, like the bardy the trend, song. The trend before bardcore was synthwave. Yeah, but synthwave doesn't make me think of a freaking prancing <laughs> minstrel skipping through the woods, <laughs> strumming on his lute. I suppose, yes. Trails of ribbons going behind To be him. fair, yes. A synthwave cover of a song makes you think it's cooler. Yeah. Yeah, but bardcore is a very specific type it's, of... Yeah, it makes me think of body odour and sexual offences. Um, I think that's more likely to be other music brands, isn't it? And I take that last bit back because I think that is rude and harsh and I don't think bardcore listeners are all smelly sex offenders. It's all kicked off because I sent Rob a uh, bardcore cover of the Doom theme, E1M1, which which sounds a bit like this. And it's just smelly and, and lame. Well, let's find a song that maybe you've got more affinity for. Okay. I looked up Blink-182, there's nothing. Great. But. That's why, because that's too good for Barcore. I've Well, you never know. 
But what the what does exist, quite obviously, All Star by Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth! As that little git says. In Rat Race. So, I'm going to play it. And we, you're you're going to sing the lyrics. <clears throat> All right. And, and you'll love it by the end. All right, fine. Right, here we go. Just let me find my pantaloons first, if you don't mind. <laughs> cool. Oh, phony roll, your majesty. <laughs> The, 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 they call me slow of mine round the land And a maiden very cruel Wrote out I am a fool In letters spelled out using her hand Hark the sands of time in the hourglass climb Now your hands too few for my person but mine Adults seem boring to my new full eyes The men learn fool but they be unwise World is great creation's grand So hasten not passing through these lands All great knights staff as squires that needs a spark to make fire. Hail, lad, thou art kindly, win a battle, be bold. Hail, lad, thou art cunning, be a merchant, earn gold. Pray hard, thou shalt succeed. Blah, 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 blah. See, awesome. Sucks dick. It's fucking awesome. No, it's rubbish and lame. Uh, and I don't like it, and it can go away, and I'm, I, I don't want it in my life. Oh, get with the... Tr- guess what do you mean, get, get, with, get with... It's from 1066! Get with the trend, granddad. It's from, it's from 1066, you can't say get with the times. Yeah, man. Freaking Battle of Hastings. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. <laughs> if it... Oh, I bet if there's a Zelda one, you'd like that. Yeah, but it's Zelda. <laughs> and there's a harp, there'll be a harp, and the harp makes it better. All right, well... I like it. All right, it's fine. You, you, I don't. You know, I'll send them all to you. Do you I'll know continue. What? No, I'm a grown man. Live and let live. It is wonderful musical creativity, and I respect it. Just get it away from me. I'm just a sweet screen bucket. Welcome to Fortnite Schmort Night. And if you're getting sick of Evil Dead news every week. Find another podcast. <laughs> yes, tell me more. Bruce Campbell has provided a fresh update on the upcoming Evil Dead sequel. Yes. The official name is Evil Dead Rise. Mm. We're getting a new draft in, Campbell told outlet Diabolique. I don't think anything will happen until 2021. Full bore ahead. We're very excited about it. He also added that it would be a whole new ball game. No more Cabin in the Woods. Yes, I heard that. I'm happy about that. So they they said on the previous report that it's going to be a load of different schmucks. Right. It's going to be like an anthology series. So that's quite cool. You might see loads of different stuff. Evil Dead on a cruise ship. Oh my God. That'd be awesome. That's what I want. That's what I want. And they summon like a big deadite kraken or something. Yes. Yeah, that's what I want. I don't want anything else now. I just uh, want. I just want Evil Dead on a boat. Yeah, well, damn it. Uh, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, if you're listening. Put, put Robert Tappard, come on. Put them on the boat. Oh, and happy birthday to Bruce Campbell. Turned 62 oh, last yeah. week. You did indeed. Yeah, happy birthday, sir. The chances of us actually getting a sequel to Gladiator have increased. What? No. It, so we, <laughs> we, we, we did. We did Gladiator a few weeks ago, and we talked about Nick Cave's. Crazy, crazy sequel idea where he yeah. comes back as a revitalized he comes warrior back king. as the god of war, basically. Yeah. Um, so, in an interview with Uproxx, producer Douglas Wick stated that the odds of the sequel being created are more than 50%. <laughs> no. oh, Before god. this interview, Wick said that he was discussing the film with Ridley Scott. And it was something they were working on. Um... <laughs> But I don't think, from what I can gather from whisperings, I don't think it's going to be the Nick Cave film we all want. 
Uh-huh. I think there's going to be like you know uh, Lucia's son Lucius. He had a sort of bit of honour about him. He, right. He admired Maximus in it. Yeah. There's some whisperings that it might involve him. It's not going to be the same. It's all going to be CGI though, isn't it? Yeah. And it won't have Russell Crowe. Mm, well, that's no massive tragedy. I think it's a huge tragedy. Oh, he's gone mad. Good, make him mad. Ruined Les Miserables. Um, what else have we got? Uh, on theme with the show, the long-awaited Middle Earth-based Amazon TV series seems to be just about ready to get the show back on the road again. Production on the show ceased in March due to the coronavirus, but now Auckland-based talent agency BGT has put out another casting call on Facebook, seeking out people with facial burns, long skinny limbs, acne scars, deep cheekbones, facial lines, missing bones, large eyes and skinny faces. Missing bones? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what that means. How can you miss a bone? A floppy man. Just have a, a no jawbone and a floppy man. Oh, a floppy man! A floppy man! <laughs> Um, yeah. Sorry if anyone's listening who does a bone missing. I don't know. I want to go. I want them to. I want to go and be in it. Yeah, but you've been saying this. Why? Why aren't you there? Well, if they slow down a bit, maybe I can get my get my act together and go over there. I don't know. Yes. I want. It's always going to be season two, though. Don't worry too Mm, much. That's true. That's true. But then I won't be able to get a working visa because I'll be too old. (laughs) What's the age limit for a working visa? I can apply for a working visa to New Zealand on. Up until my 31st birthday. And then it lasts for 23 months. Oh, so I'm already... You're out. <sighs> Just for New Zealand? Just for New Zealand. All right. I think. That might be a loophole, I don't know. Get married. Get married. Yeah. Find a Kiwi to marry. Production on the sequel to Ardman Animation's Chicken Run is due to begin in 2021. Oh, for God's sake. Information has been sparse since the follow-up was announced a few years ago. That is until the following was tweeted by Netflix. Poultry News, exactly 20 years to the day since the original was released, we can confirm there will be a Chicken Run sequel coming to Netflix, produced by Aardman. Production is expected to begin next year. Excellent. Now, this might just be me, but I think Chicken Run is the weakest thing Aardman never did. I loved, I loved it. And I think a lot of people loved it. I think a lot of... Is it better than other stuff they've done, though? I think it appealed to a more mainstream audience. I think it's, it's very... Um, it's a very good family film for mums to take their kids to and stuff like that. Big hit. Mm. A lot of strong female characters as well. Well, yeah. It's supposed to Wallace and Gromit, which is just a man and his dog. Oh, I don't high road me. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not high roading you. Like, I just think it's like, it's just a bit meh. There's no real laughs in it. Uh, the chickens are revolting. Uh. Don't you think I know that or something? Okay. That was a good joke. Anyway, uh, get us out of here. Get us out of here. Stranger Things star David Harbour has revealed that season four of Netflix's sci fi smash series will contain some big reveals about Chief Hopper's past. <sighs> Chatting to Deadline over video recently, the actor confirmed that we will get to see some of Hopper's deep backstory, adding, I'm really excited to let people see these really deep colours in him. Each season we see a different side of him. Last season was a bit wackier, and I love playing that. Now in season four, he is painted in a bit of a darker palette. He's able to express some of these really deep things that we've hinted at with the boxes in season two. The actor also teased monsters and horror and scares, plus some great Indiana Jones type action. Okay. Oh. Okay. So, because I was, someone was talking about maybe they wouldn't even continue Stranger Things, which I thought was rubbish because 
Everyone loves it. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Uh, it was the uh, Curly Boy. Curly Boy. Curly Boy, who sang Never Ending Story. Right. The actor said they weren't even, they weren't sure if they would even get back together to film the rest of it. Because he's like 18 now. Yeah, and he's 18 now, which is weird. Yeah, God. Um, meh. I mean, I'm sure it'd be good. Season 3 was quite good, but... Oh, I, yeah, just... I love season 3. Yeah, just I don't know how long this is. This must be the end, surely. It has to be. It has to be. Just give us some new kids. It feels like the end. If they, yeah, if they want to keep it going, make a new story. I want to see some kids go to a summer camp, and it all turns into Friday the Thirteenth. That'd be good. That's why I want Stranger Things to be mm. some dreams, some nightmares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than these, uh, oh, big reveals. Yeah, they. I think they've pumped the nostalgia breasts as much as they can, so it's done. Well, or unless you. Unless you do a sort of This Is England and carry on throughout the 90s. Yeah, that's true. That'd be cool. Just but, follow them I mean, I'd love year. that if they got all the Power Rangers culture and everything in. Well, they'd, be in they'd be in their 20s though, wouldn't they? Yeah, but then you get any kids. Get so 90s what, oh, kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, true. They'd all, but they'd, if they were to stay with the same cast, they'd go through the whole Clerks era. Mm, yeah, They'll true. stoner filmmakers and stuff. Ah, uh-huh, true. Hmm. Anyway, so concludes Fortnite Schmort Night. Mm. Uh, okay, well, one final bit, obviously, you didn't want to talk about because you hate it. Rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. Oh, yes. yes bit of yeah. death news, which you love. But yes, mm. no, the director of Lost Boys. Batman. One of the best films ever, Batman and Robin. Yeah, that was a shock. Good director. Well, sometimes, sometimes he had a he had a vision of Batman being a cartoon, and you can't really judge him for that. No, because that's what it was. Yeah, and the Lost Boys is a cult classic. It's beautiful. Yeah, in fact, yeah. I need to buy the Lost Boys because I don't have it. I haven't seen it since college. They came to party. They came from outer space. <laughs> But for these unhappy campers... Just put this thing on. Things are about to get slimy. If you go down to the woods today, you'd better keep an eye out for... Quaggers! They're mean, they're insane, and they're everywhere. And they've got an appetite for naughty campers. Starring Jody Bennett, Bailey Pillbeam, Isabel Albert, and Blake Aiden. Quaggers! They're everywhere. We are not going back in that tent. Watch now at hollowdellmedia.bhx.tv Nick's Game Reviews Detroit Become Human The biggest compliment a story-focused game can get in my home is when my girlfriend says, Oh, I like that. That means it doesn't just appeal to the person playing, but those who are meant to be doing work and keep getting distracted by what's on the TV. Detroit Become Human is the fifth game from legendary video game writer, director and composer David Cage. Generally speaking, I'm not the biggest fan of Cage's work. The likes of Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls always felt too bleh for me. 
They are good characters, but were ultimately either a bit too slow, or the story just didn't appeal to me. Detroit Become Human, however, oh boy. The general premise is based around three main characters, Marcus, Connor, and Kara. All androids that break through their programming to become sentient. Sentient androids in a world where these human-like machines are built with one purpose in mind, to serve humans. Whether that is loading the dishwasher, babysitting children, caring for the elderly, serving in the military, going to space, or even investigating cases for the police. So as you can imagine, once an android becomes sentient, it don't go down too well with the humans. How the story unfolds for these three absolutely excellent characters is completely up to you. And that's Detroit Become Human's main headline feature. Basically, how do your choices affect your characters and the world they inhabit? As you get further into the story, you start to form attachments with each android, and every decision and button press becomes more and more difficult, knowing full well that the slightest misstep or wrong decision could send them down a very, very harrowing path that you are forced to witness. Of course, you could just back out to the main menu whenever you like and reload your save, but by doing so you completely miss the point of the game. At the end of each chapter you are shown a flowchart that breaks down every decision you make and teases all the other possible paths you could have taken, a superb way of making you play through the game again and again until you see every possible outcome. I found myself trying repeatedly to find that perfect ending, one where everyone survives and everyone is happy. Whether that is possible, I'll leave up to you to find out. It's not all about just walking around, finding clues and pressing button prompts every now and then. There's a fair bit of challenge with the occasional QTE that adds to the suspense and heightened anxiety. Remember, if you fail even one QTE, you could kill that character permanently. It's so bloody stressful. Detroit Become Human isn't just the best adventure game I've ever played. It's worked its way straight into that room in my brain where only my favourite all-time gaming experiences live, the most memorable ones. It's nestled itself right alongside the likes of Goldeneye, Pokemon Red, Knights of the Old Republic, Fallout 3 and Red Dead Redemption. I cannot stress enough how important it is that everybody goes and plays this game immediately. Oh, mademoiselle, would you like to have a film discussion? Oh, yes, monsieur. I'd love to have an in-depth film discussion with you, like they do on screen, bucket. Legend tells of a ring created by an ancient evil that gave its wearer the power to enslave the world. Believed lost for centuries. It has now been found. Is it secret? Is it safe? This is the One Ring, forged by the Dark Lord Sauron. Sauron needs only this ring to cover all the lands of a second darkness. He's seeking it. Seeking it all. His thought is bent on it. No one knows it's here, do they? Do they, Gandalf?
The weapon of the enemy is a gift. Let us use it against him. You cannot wield it. None of us can. The ring must be destroyed. It was made in the fires of Mount Doom. Only there can it be unmade. I know what I must do, but I'm afraid to do it. One does not simply walk into Mordor. There is no other way. Well, finally, after nearly two years, we're here. I this I have been thinking about how we're gonna talk about this film the entire time, and I'm actually a bit scared that we're not gonna do it justice. What? I don't know. I don't. It's just the best freaking film ever. It's the best trilogy ever. Star Wars can do one. In my eyes. It's, there, it's, it's the best. I don't see... This is where we're at odds. Because Fellowship of the Ring was mind-blowing when it came out. I don't think it's that great. I think it's so good. Of the trilogy, I'm a Return of the King man. Return of the King is the mightier... Alright, I will concede Return of the King is the better film. However, I think Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, is a warmer, more... I think it's nostalgia... But it's, I'm, I'm, and maybe it's the, especially the start, you know, when you first turn it on and you have that amazing introduction into what happened in the past and then you kick into the Shire and the Shire theme concerning Hobbits. And it, it's the best opening to any film I can think of because it sets up the story so beautifully and then you're shoved into this wonderful world of Hobbits. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Fills yeah. my heart with warmth and love. So just to summarise, this is Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, 2001, adaptation of the J.R. the R.R.R. Tolkien film, by Peter Jackson, who before then was a kind of schlocky horror filmmaker, indie man. He was sort of us. It's crazy. As far as I know, he only... Well, actually, is there anything about that? How did they... Well, apparently, he started, Peter Jackson started working on it in 1997. That's I know mad. he's a massive, massive fan of Lord of the Rings, generally. So, I guess he just did it out of passion, and it just got noticed by someone. It's mad, there's these big, like... Well, you would have called them Spielberg-esque level sequences, but now you call them Jackson-esque sequences. But at the same time, there's especially in all throughout the trilogy, you see little dots of brain dead and bad taste, little swirl, mm. little yeah, swirl yeah, yeah. camera movements, and uncomfortable close-ups of orcs that you could definitely find in those early films. Yeah, I think, and there's some like gross-out bits as well, similar, very similar. Well, he does it. Oh, what? in the Hobbit. He does it in a Hobbit oh. when when all the dwarves are eating around the table. He zooms in on the meat and cheese, and it's exactly like Brain Dead. Yes, yes, that, yeah, you're right. When they're all yeah, scoffing yeah, yeah. their faces at the table. Actually, there is a moment with Gimli in Two Towers, I think, when he's eating meat, mm. meat off the bone, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, no. So uh, the Fellowship of the Ring is the first of a trilogy. Well, you could say of a massive franchise with the Hobbit, but mm. uh, which kicked off not only the trilogy but a sort of. Love affair with fantasy. What well, even like sword and steel adventures? Yeah, and the, the the popularity of Vikings, Narnia, Aragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the whole young adult. Well, that was arguably Harry Potter as well, but somewhere mm. in between, mm. uh, Golden Compass and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it, and it, it really kind of inspired a generation of people. Fellowship of the Ring. Well, something we pointed out while we were watching it. 
its casting is incredible. It's, it's, it's lightning in a bottle. There's no one who feels wrong. And it's really hard to think of anyone else who would feel that part. It's, well, I don't know whether that's because the film's 20 years old and we're so used to it. I don't know. It's, no, it's the times. Because, like you were saying the other day when we were watching it, it was at a time when all of these thespians were coming up. And, well, not coming up, they've been there for years, but... You can see it in Harry Potter as well. You've got like um, your Richard Harris's and your Maggie Smith's and so on. Mm. And in this, you've obviously got your Christopher Lee's and your Ian McKellen's. It was at a time where all of these sort of aging people were capable of playing these old characters at their prime. And, and not just the old people, like, you know, it goes down to... Well, it's a weird, weird mix because you've got, yeah, so you've got like John Reese davis you've got Christopher Lee, like amazing, huge film uh, icon. But then you've also got people who, mostly unknown, mm. Billy Boyd. Orlando Bloom hadn't even finished drama school when he got cast. Then you've got Elijah Wood, who'd been in Flipper and all sorts. Um, Sean Astin, obviously the Goonies. Um, uh, Dominic Monaghan, I think, had just been in Hetty Wainfrop Investigates. That's all, and I did actually recognise him from that. And- I, I do remember at the time, because I remember... Cause I was kind of nerdy little boy i was hooked on all of this and i would read empire magazine and all that sort of stuff um to find out more about it there's a slight hesitation with elijah wood hmm. i wonder if it's because he was very clearly american yeah probably there was just this slight i, I don't mean, know i would um there's a lot of excitement for sean astin yeah and there was a bit of like eh for elijah wood i don't know why thinking back I'd like <clears throat> I mean, people people moan about Fro- Elijah Wood as Frodo a lot, and people say he's a bit too like. I don't know some people say he's effeminate and like wimpy, but I think he was very well cast. I thought Elijah Wood did a really good job. I thought he was a very good. Frodo. He has a very ethereal face, and I think that's yeah. to his advantage. Also, you have to bear in mind that Lord of the Rings was based on J.R.R. Tolkien's experience in the First World War. Mm. Uh, so, in essence, Frodo is an officer, and uh, Samwise is his his. Batman, his uh, his Baldrick. Well, the four of them are based are based on people he knew, or they're based on mm. his fellowship in the First World War, aren't they? Really yeah, as told in the slightly terrible reviewed Tolkien. I never saw it. I never saw it either, but it didn't go down that well. Mm. Even the Tolkien family were a bit like, Ugh. oh no. <sighs> they but, hate everything, though, don't they? They said the, they said they tolerated Lord of the Lord of the Rings films, and they said they loathed the Hobbit films. And you know, you can't blame. Them. Well, but yeah, we won't talk about them. them. Uh, it's funny though because Lord of the Rings is, well, Fellowship of the Ring is very well con- concise and to- tells the story of the books really well. Mm. The others go a bit mad. They have to because there's a lot of walking. T- <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Uh, but Fellowship of the Ring it condenses it. In a, about as perfect as you can do it. Yeah, there's um, they lose bits that I would like. I I loved when I read the books. I imagined would be really cool, like especially the Barrow Downs for people who don't know how they found their weapons. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I agree. There's stuff that definitely deserves to be chopped, and his name is Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, like um, they it, it is a perfectly told series of events. In it puts it, it makes it more understandable as well because reading the book. There's so much flat, boring rubbish. Mm. Although the what the film and the book both have, and this isn't their fault, this is probably my taste, the bloody elves. They're so mm. boring. You don't like them, do you? I hate them. They're, to me, when they're in 
the Wood Elf Kingdom, Lothlorien, mm. that is, oh my god, I need to go to the toilet time. Yeah. I've never walked out of the cinema to go for a wee. It's moments like that where you're like, oh, but, but oh. then, But then it has arguably the scariest bit in the entire trilogy. You would have a queen! Galadriel bloody going mental with her mental eyes. I cacked my pants in a cinema really? like that. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. Her eyes were all white and crazy it was mental. Just a bit weird. It's terrifying. Bilbo's scarier. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, Bilbo's <laughs> the scariest bit in any film ever made. <laughs> ah! <laughs> okay, well, that's, before we go any deeper, let's just do a very concise run through of what happens. Because not everyone would have seen it. Yeah, all right. So, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings. So, it takes place after The Hobbit. All you need to know from The Hobbit is that Bilbo, who is a, a stout Englishman, finds a magic ring that can turn him invisible. And, of course, Bilbo played by the late, great Sir Ian Holm. Yes. Who, major influence. Huge, huge. Oh, the perfect casting. Someone who's, it's not his first ride into the Lord of the Rings world. He voiced Frodo in the 1981 BBC adaption, uh, mm. radio adaption. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, obviously an Alien and so many other films, like a, a huge loss. Yes, he, he's one of those faces that always turned up. Like, um, yeah, Ian Holm, similar to Bob Hoskins, just one of those faces that would just turn up. Do you know, he, he really, really, really great performance of his in a, you know okay film, From Hell, when he played Jack uh, the Ripper. He's the best thing in that film. Yeah, he's so scary. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. So yes, we we're mourning the loss of being home, but back to Lord of the Rings. Uh so years later, sixty years later, I think, uh Bilbo's still alive, he's aged very well, and it's just, it's hinted that it's the ring that's done it. Um but he's sick of it, he wants to leave. So he ends up leaving the ring to his adopted nephew, Frodo. Mm. Gandalf, who is a wizard, the archetype wizard is suspicious is suspicious of the ring and does some digging and realises that it could well be the relic that belonged to the great dark lord oh my god Sauron Sauron of Mordor they always say Mordor wrong Mordor Mordor Mordor. Uh, so yeah so oh my god the evil scary dark lord necromancer Yes. His power is within this gold ring that sat up in a quiet little rural village. Yes. Uh, we need to get it out of there before everything goes wrong. Mm. So Gandalf sets Frodo off into the wilderness with his trusty gardener Samwise Gamgee. And off they go. But, I mean, this is, this is after the most magnificent opening. This is where we find out about Isildur, a battle two and a half thousand years ago. Between men and elves versus the orcs in the valleys of Mordor. And uh, Sauron is all powerful. He's killing people with his giant mace. How cool is that? And then, whoa, he smashes the king against the rock. And Isildur picks up his father's sword. And he's about to get killed. And the slushy slash, slushy slushes his finger off. And it comes to the ground. And the ring falls off. And he looks up. And Sauron's disintegrating. And then there's a big shockwave. And everyone gets fallen and knocked over. Everyone gets knocked over, and then uh, Isildur falls in the river and gets shot at Varys. Yeah. So the ring is treacherous, is the thing. Yeah. Uh, when it's not in the hands of its owner, of Sauron, 
for Mordor. When it's not in his hand, it, it betrays you and it wants to go back to his master. Mm. So when Isildur has it, it slips off his finger while he's on the run, while he's swimming, and he gets shot. Uh, it then gets picked up by a mysterious figure mm. who we shall meet later and ends up with Bilbo, ends up with Frodo. Uh, and on it goes. Uh, Frodo's sent off to Bree, mm. this sort of dirty hive of scum and villainy uh, just on the borders of the Shire um, to meet... Gandalf. Is it to meet Gandalf? Yes, to meet Gandalf. Right. But Gandalf isn't there! We're friends of Gandalf the Grey. Can you tell him we've arrived? Gandalf? Gandalf? Oh, yes, I remember. Elderly chap. Big grey beard, pointy hat. Not seen him for six months. Um, but yeah, no, just before then, we're introduced to the ring wraiths. Um, very scary. Very scary things, the ring wraiths. The, the ring wraiths might be the most awesome thing in Lord of the Rings. And I was saying at the time, one thing that really bugs me about Lord of the Rings, the book and the film series, the ring wraiths disappear. At yeah. first, it's like this awesome chase. They are the, the agents of the Dark Lord looking for the ring. And as Frodo, they try and slip past them and escape and get it on the way. And I always wanted it to be a chase, a consistent chase from the beginning. Like, it was almost like a spy film. Hmm. But they just vanish Well, after a point. And you only see them like here and there. They go and get their fell beasts. Yeah, but they don't do anything until the very end. Prowling and even then you only see one or two. You never see the nine in their no, cohort. The yeah, true. And they re- it always really bugged me. I always find that really disappointing. Mm. It's like that you introduce these absolutely awesome Grim Reaper Dark Knight types and their black steeds. They've got trolls and Shelob. Don't worry about it, mate. Just switch it off. It's all good, baby. Just keep going. But, yeah, that bugged me since I was about 10 years old. So it has to be <laughs> quite important. But, yeah, so... Uh, uh... Well, uh, we're introduced uh, to a mysterious pipe-smoking man. That man in the corner. Who is he? He's one of them rangers. Dangerous folk they are, one in the wild. What his right name is, I've never heard. But round here, he's known as Strider. Strider. They narrowly escape the uh, ring wraiths and embark on their travels. Um, are they? I don't know if they're destined for Rivendell at that point. They are, aren't they? So off they go to the the, the Elven Kingdom. And that's kind of where the the whole premise of the film is established. Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring is the name of the nine, the five champions who are going to escort the hobbits, the four hobbits, mm. to Mordor, to destroy the ring. Mm. Uh, and you've got that wonderful scene um, with the Council of Elrond. Brilliant. Where it's, I mean, that's probably the standout scene of this film, I would say, one of them. It's parodied more than any other scene. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, definitely. So you have, so the House of Elrond, Elrond is a, a sort of wizened lord. Everyone sort of, but he's quite calm with it, so everyone sort of trusts him. And he summons the peoples of Middle-earth. So Cast perfectly. Yes, uh, Hugo Weaving plays Elrond. S- some shades of Agent Smith in there. Oh, it's definitely there. It's definitely there. There's a scene when he's talking to Gandalf, and it, his, his delivery... Sauron's forces are massing in the east. His eye is fixed on Rivendell. And Saruman, you tell me, has betrayed us. 
Our list of allies grows thin. I mean, this is kind of like where I'm sure many kids kind of picked... I mean, I certainly did. When you pick who you are, when the fellowship all lines yeah. up, when you realise, okay, here's Gimli, he's a badass to off a big axe, here's Boromir, he's from the political side of man, he's from this mysterious place, but he's kind of badass, even though he's a bit of a douche. Then there's Aragorn, yeah. there's Legolas, the elf with the cool arrow. Like, which one? You kind of think... It's almost like character select. It is! At the beginning of the game, isn't it? Yeah, so you've got... They've all, all got their own opinions on what to do with this this relic of power and symbol of evil. Gimli, the dwarf, just wants to destroy it. Mm. Just destroy it. That's, I think Legolas is just a bit flouncy with it and just agrees with Aragorn. They don't explicitly state what the elves want to do. No, maybe they don't know. Uh, maybe that's the thing. Yeah, I, don't know. I think they probably want to score it back. To lock to... it up somewhere, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the that's the thing. The rings are relics of power. And each race has their own version of the rings, as described in the opening. And all of them are slightly more susceptible than others. So that's that's quite... And I think in the Council of Everyone scene, we see that play out mm. quite organically. The rest of the f- franchise is set up at the House of Elrond. They decide that the Nine Fellowship will set off to Mordor to destroy the ring. And the rest of the film is them on their path to do so. Mm. Um, various adventures happen. Meanwhile, we've got some betrayal... The wizards are turning. Saruman, the white, who's Gandalf's boss, essentially, uh, turns evil. He's been corrupted by Sauron. Breeds an army worthy of Mordor, uh, who then hunt them down, who Mm. are set out to destroy the Fellowship. Leading to an awesome ending. Yeah, an amazing ending. The Amon Hen sequence is incredible. And it was in the book as well that it leaves on such a downbeat, can but we, hopeful ending. Can we talk about who dies? Yeah. Oh, I won't say who dies, but what is interesting is you don't find out he's dead until the start of the books, in the start of the two towers in the books. Is that right? Yep. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, that's how it really starts off in the two towers. Someone cops it, find out who, the start of two towers, and mm. you're like, oh my God. So it ends, the books end so, kind of, oh my God, what's going on? But then the film ends with, it really makes you excited for part two. There's a, this fellowship yeah. is broken, but on both sides, you're like, all right, come on, we've got to do this. We've got a quest. Let's go. Yes. Well, that's it. The, the very end is almost like the opening scene, isn't it? Mm. Of the next film. Because it's all the scattered parts. Yeah. So half the fellowship decide to go and save someone, a couple of people. The other half, well, the other fraction, uh, decide to carry on with the adventure. Carry on with the quest. And basically refreshes the whole film. Yeah. At that point, there is a new adventure to do. There's two new adventures, um, and a big epic adventure to come. I have to talk about briefly Moria as well, because yes. oh my god, I actually remember being in the cinema watching that and just, oh, I can't think of any film previous to that in terms of gra- like epic scenes. Maybe the last big blockbuster I watched was so 2001. It was about the time things like X Men were coming out, so you had an idea of what. The action of the current time was yeah and then moria happened and this is before helm's deep which really set a precedent for what movies could achieve but moria was the like oh there's the tension the yeah f- it, obviously it starts with pippin tipping the bucket off and you there's that wonderful that well horrible really bouncing of the bucket <laughs> down the well and, and you're like, oh my god what is it and then it builds up and it builds up. There's torches going up walls and caves and stuff. There's cameras. 
cameras going around a wonderful miniature and then uh, they're blocking the door. Boromel looks outside. They have a cave troll. And you know it's going to go mental. And it does. It's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, and then yeah, a yeah. Balrog. <laughs> and then a Balrog. And yes. The most, it just keeps yeah. scaling up. The fight scene in Balin's tomb, there's moments of comedy in it, which have re- which make it something else, actually. I feel like if it was straight, it would be a bit boring. Definitely. But when you've got Samwise with a frying pan, just... Guest House Paradiso. <laughs> boink, boink. I'm sorry, you the hang of it. Boink. And it's kind of the start of Gimli's blundering through battles, but taking loads <laughs> of people, with, taking loads of enemies with him. Like yeah. he has to like dive away from the Cave Trolls Club multiple times, and then Legolas goes and sorts him out by jumping on the. It sets up like loads of little sort of in jokes which continue. And we were saying about the toss me thing. Yes. And this is an interesting thing of the production in general of Lord of the Rings. It was in no means whatsoever filmed linearly. They were, it was all filmed in a clump, um, filming different scenes where they could when they were on certain locations. So we learned that in the Two Towers, Gimli asked Aragorn to toss him. In Fellowship... <laughs> as, in, as in throw him over as a As in gap. throw him over... Those are the other guys for porn after that. Um, but in, Lord, in the Fellowship... Nobody tosses a dwarf! And then it sets up a great joke later. Yeah, yeah. Aragorn, he finally lets Aragorn so toss apparently him. they filmed the don't never toss a dwarf before uh, after it. So they obviously had this gag in mind. It's just so... This is Peter Jackson's mind work, I imagine. Uh, we had this gag. Oh, we better go back and set yeah. that up. It's, uh, it, it's such a mammoth task making all of the rings I'm, i was watching i sent you a video and i was watching a lot of it yesterday the there's a making of the fellowship video on youtube where it shows behind the scenes and it literally gave me anxiety because obviously we're filmmakers we've made a silly horror film it's a wonderful silly horror film but then i saw this and there's all these hundreds of people there's um different levels of production having arguments with each other there's a woman begging a man if she can work the next day and he's telling her he can't work whilst at the same time telling her off for not getting the walkie-talkies that they need. And then another woman comes along and says, she's crying her eyes out. Why don't you just let her work tomorrow? I'll pay her out of my wages, please. And then, oh my God, and then there's extras who've broken their ankles during fight scenes. Peter Jackson's sat there in one, another scene, just completely blasé to it all, not stressed in the slightest. They're saying to him, I don't think we can afford to shoot over there and he goes oh that's all right well we just won't use that anymore we'll shoot here instead and we'll save a couple of million quid in the process <laughs> what so you've just said that and that's just happened on the spot that's yeah. obviously that's filmmaking and there's another guy who's talking through lighting rigs and he's saying this is the main lighting rig this is the second rig which is normally smaller and this is uh, what was meant to be the miniature rig they're all the same size and they're all <laughs> massive it's i mean it's got to be the biggest I'd be hard pressed to find in such a short space of time as a bigger project than Lord of the Rings. Uh, I don't know what that idiot Cameron's doing now with uh, Avatar. Avatar, But um, well, I think that that does show that uh, even though it's not his work, Peter Jackson was the auteur of this. Mm. He was the mastermind behind it. He he co-wrote it, obviously directed it. I think he produced it. Mm. A lot of the designs, costume designs and stuff, were his idea. He was he was god in that. As a, well, directors kind of are the king of the emperor of the mountain when the bloody production companies aren't screwing around. Um, but they just left him to it, and he just became this this mm. Adonis of a man. I remember watching all the featurettes on the DVDs many many times, and there is 
crazy. The costume, the level of costumes, the level of armor, all the not so much in this film, but the horse riding sequences in Two Towers, especially all real. Yeah, I mean they duplicated stuff as well, but the um, the scale of it is so big. And I told you before, like Bruce Campbell absolutely hates Lord of the Rings and will never watch it because he was filming stuff in New Zealand at the time and Lord of the Rings shut down everything. Every armourer, every costumer, every horse rider, it was all taken in for Lord of the Rings and made this epic thing. Same. It's like a whole country worked towards like, it. Have we read something like $300 million uh, was pumped into the New Zealand economy. Did you see the minister for Lord of the Rings that they employed? <laughs> no. They actually employed a minister for Lord of the Rings. Is he a little goblin? <laughs> yeah. But they had like... Um, they He would just do casting calls, wouldn't he? And then everyone would turn up. Yeah. And um, well, Yeah, famously, anyone who's got a horse. Anyone who's got a horse. Just yeah, and up. it's just every single person that turned up a horse. And it's lasted. If anything, it's got bigger. They did a casting call for extras in Wellington for The Hobbit. This is how long the... Leg- what's became a massive legacy. 3,000 people turned up. They um, they had to... People got arrested. There was, like, brawls and oh stuff. Um, obviously, Stupid like... Stupid fat extra. It's such a part of that country now. I mean... I went to New Zealand a couple of years ago. As soon as I flew into Auckland, there were dwarf statues from the movies, from Moria. Um, I went to Hobbiton. I went and visited loads of um, stuff in the North and the South Island. And it is Middle Earth. It is beautiful. And they couldn't have chosen a better country and a better group of people to team together to do it. And I think the spirit definitely comes through in the films. And it's mm. wonderful. Yeah. I think I'm in love with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> All right. So... Uh, so it's not going in the Hall of Fame, is it? Just, just no, it's not it. going in the Hall of Fame. It's going in the Valley of Kings. It's <laughs> going to Valhalla. It's the best film we've ever reviewed by far. And it's first place and it wins. That is my that is my verdict on Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Meh. Right, so I'm going to need to pick a word for the film for next time. Ooh. find a book. We do. I've chosen Star Wars Death Troopers. Lame. This is zombie Star Wars. Oh, that's pretty cool. Where yeah. it's, it's pretty grim. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> the, the virus is like living liquid blood. Oh, wow. So you can see it moving up your veins and stuff. Anyway, so I'm going to flick through it. Robson, tell me to stop, and then I'll stop again. And I'll try to choose a word. I get rid of that. Right. Who's okay. even got a Star Wars bookmark in it? What a nerd! What a loser! Well, I'm sorry, it's not none of things. Thought I got thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me to stop. Stop. Tell stop. Th- different. <laughs> That's a terrible word. Ah, different. Different. We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> yeah. Loads of stuff. Ebony and Ivory. Adam's Film Reviews. The Five Bloods 2020. Black GI. Is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the Soul Brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Can't put it all 
sentiment. Welcome back to Vietnam. Look what I found. You're the man in all his glory. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. We bury it. They don't. We come back and collect. Directed and co-written by Spike Lee, *The Five Bloods* is the latest entry into the ever-growing list of straight-to-Netflix films that probably should have been released in cinemas. Officially listed as a war drama, *The Five Bloods* follows the journey of four African-American Vietnam vets and one of their sons as they travel back to Vietnam when they hear a recent mudslide has unearthed a plane wreckage, somewhere where they left behind a huge quantity of gold bars and the body of their inspirational squad leader Norman, played by Chadwick Boseman in flashbacks. The vets are made up of Paul played by the incredible Delroy Lindo, Otis, played by Clark Peters, Eddie, played by Norm Lewis, and Melvin, played by Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Together, and for the first time in many years, the Bloods arrive in Ho Chi Minh City, where they meet with Desroches, played by Jean Reno, a French businessman who harks back to the French imperial presence in Vietnam. The plan, as it unfolds, is that the Bloods will hike to the location of the plane wreck, recover the gold and the location of their squad leader and pay it to De Roche, who will smuggle the gold out of the country and allow them to take a share of the wealth. Simple enough, but friction between the Bloods is immediately obvious, with each having suffered in their own way after the end of the war. When Paul's son David, played by Jonathan Majors, arrives uninvited, we begin to see how Paul was unravelled since the war, having never been the same since Norm was killed in action. After a confrontation in a marketplace, Paul is forced to admit he has PTSD and sees ghosts of those he killed, something which all the Bloods admit to. At this point, the plot is fairly straightforward. In fact, in many ways, The Five Bloods feels like an educational video essay. As the men talk and reference historical facts and the real-life men who served in the war, we see flashes and glimpses of their photos with facts about them flashing up on screen. We begin to dive even deeper into the racism present and even the military tactics of the United States. Comparisons are made between the way the Bloods were treated versus the way the United States treated the Vietnamese. We even see real-life photos of the dead and dying, with one harrowing image of a toddler lingering for a long time on screen. This only gets more obscure and thick with reference as the plot continues. Paul, in particular, is suffering from the ghosts of his past, with constant fights and arguments with the other Bloods, particularly the cool-headed and collected Otis. Eventually this escalates beyond all redemption, with a group of volunteer mind clearers getting swept up into the quest to recover and extract the gold, despite the actions of the local Vietnamese militia and the selfish schemes of De Roche. There's a lot that happens in The Five Bloods, and sadly, I don't think it's all necessary. It's a long film, and there is arguably a lot of content to justify the length, but there's a lot of ideas and messages being poured thick into the film, and I just found it to be a bit of a mess. References to Hollywood's Vietnam films are thrust in thick and fast, with even Apocalypse Now's signature ride of the Valkyries playing while the Bloods travel down the river. While flashbacks to radio broadcasts sent out to weaken the American soldiers' resolve are slotted in between some incredibly well-made flashback sequences filmed on 16mm for the real visceral look of the 1970s newsreels. In this respect, it feels like a montage of visual sounds and feelings to reflect the memories of the principal cast. 
but it doesn't help to build a consistent story. There's there's one bit, I won't spoil it, but I saw it coming a mile off, and where it should have been a catalyst for the story and deeply traumatic, it actually felt comical, and worse still, inconsequential, bar a few references later on. I don't know. The Five Bloods definitely has a message to tell, and an important one. It's rare to see the Vietnam War told exclusively through the eyes of the African-American soldiers, but I feel like the message is lost between documentary sequences, blasé violence, and truth be told, some genuinely brilliant but difficult to comprehend character moments. I wouldn't rule the film out. It is worth watching, but I feel like I might need to process it a little more. If it wasn't so long, I'd watch it again, but I think I need to work myself up to it again. Give it a go if you've got an evening spare, but, but don't expect much for a tight story. We give this goal to our people. Hold on! In my line of work, I have to be very careful. And that means knowing exactly who I am in business with. That was the show, Rob. What a show it was. Yeah, I'm very sticky. I'm sticky icky, yeah, massively. It's a, a hot, clammy evening. I'm always sticky after watching Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I bet you are. Because <laughs> you come out of the mud. <laughs> so, yes, is there anything you else you'd like to say? Is there anything else I'd like to say? Um... There's nothing on ruddy Netflix at the moment. Oh, nothing at all. There's nothing. It's not completely dry. No. no, I've been spending money on renting stuff on Amazon and giving more money to Jeff Bezos, and I shouldn't be. Hmm. Oh, there's one final thing to say. What? We've said it before. America, Ugh. what are you bloody doing? Ugh. There's a absolutely insane woman. We don't. Yeah. What? What is happening? There was a thing. Oh, let me bring it up on Twitter. Uh. There's this new wave of madness. Uh, The FTB agency, right? What are they? They are the Free to Breathe agency. So these completely mad people seem to think that wearing a face mask suffocates you. So this, I'm going to read it as appropriate. Wearing a face mask is an unhealthy obstruction of oxygen flow that can lead to hypoxemia, low oxygen level in the blood, and hypoxia, low oxygen level in the tissue. Both of these conditions are health-threatening and can permanently damage the brain, lungs, heart and about any other organ. This is unfounded rubbish. They're not listening to scientists. They're making it up. Some idiot said it and then they copied and pasted it. Someone made face mask. Someone managed to make that sound vaguely cohesive to idiots, oh, and they've taken it on board. Just wait, just wait. Wearing a face mask has also a very important effect on our psychology. It is a psychological anchor for suppression, enslavement, and cognitive obedience. When you wear a mask, you are complicit in declaring all humans as dangerous, infectious, and threats. How long do you think you'll be before your social engineers tell you that talking spreads the virus, father? Father. Wrong, wrong word. And they forbid talking. How long before your human farmers trick you into believing that it's better to stop breathing altogether? Oh my god. 
What if she's right? Reject the mind control and unslave. What if she's right? What if it's like that episode of Spongebob where... No, it's in the Spongebob movie where he makes everyone wear those buckets on their heads and then it's, it comes down and then Plankton's can control everyone and he's got a... He's got a whole population of slaves to make Planktopolis. That is more likely to happen than the bull plops that is being discussed here. It's true. And the FTB agency have issued out cards. Hmm. Uh, let's see if I can get a picture. There you go. Face mask exempt card. Uh. I'm exempt from any ordinance requiring face... It's a fake organisation. It's a fake organisation. It's just a bloody face mask. It's just a face mask. It's to save lives. It's to save your grandparents from people, dying. People who it's think to that save your grandparents from dying. People who think that face masks are going to kill you, it's a good thing learning to be a doctor is so easy because those surgeons must be falling ten a penny. Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. God, those poor... F- Why would you become a surgeon if it just kills you straight away and gives you blood conditions? Oh, if you have a beehive, you die like two days after you're born because you always wear a mask. Yeah, you can't be a... Fe- de- Dentists, they, they've only yep. got a life expectancy of 35. Nurses, you, you get them every two weeks, they just fall. God. You have to sort of sweep them up. That, I hadn't even thought of that. Absolutely stupid. Uh, I can't... It is genuinely. I tend to not talk about stuff like that. I tend not to really look at it. But that is driving me mad. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. What? Ugh. Florida... As well. So always Florida. It's just all well, it's of all America. America. It's all it of America. All of but this, America. this woman oh, this who's woman. spouting off about Satan and I'll, stuff. I'll play a little tribute to her at the end of the show. But oh my God. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. 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 So if you enjoyed what you heard until the end when you went, oh no. It's just like listening to Twitter. Uh, and you do, support, you do like what we do and you want to support us, do look up. Uh, do head to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Media, where for just the price of a cup of coffee you can help support us doing awesome things. Yes, perhaps one day we'll have enough money to make a new Lord of the Rings film. Or or a remake of Ulysses 31. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so do follow us on Twitter at screen underscore bucket or uh, Twitter and Instagram at Media. Uh, is that it? I mean, that's it. That's it. Awesome. Have a great fortnight, guys, and we'll see you later. See you in two weeks, guys. May the fellowship be with you. It literally is killing people. And my the people, we the people, are waking up. And we know what citizen's arrest is. Because citizen's arrests are already happening. Okay? And every single one of you that are obeying the devil's laws are going to be arrested. And you, doctor, are going to be arrested for crimes against humanity. Every single one of you have a smirk behind that little mask. But every single one of you are going to get punished by God. You cannot, you cannot escape God. You cannot escape God. I'm going to say that again. You cannot escape God, not even with the mask or six feet, okay? Six feet, like I said before, is military protocol. You're trying to get people to train them. So when the, the cameras, the 5G comes out, what? They're, they're going to they're gonna scan everybody. We got to get scanned. We got to get temperatured. The kids have to go to school with masks. Are you insane? 
Are you crazy? I think all of you should be in a psych ward right the heck now. Because none of you, none of you know what the hell you are all talking about. This is insane. And then you want to open this meeting with a prayer to God. Are you praying to the devil? Because God is not listening to that prayer. Because all of you are practicing the devil's laws. What happened to Bill Gates? Why is he not in jail? Why is Hillary Clinton not in jail? Why are all of, all of these pedophiles that are demanding you all to, to listen to their rules? Why are they not in jail? Oh, is it because you're part of them? Are you part of the deep state? The deep state is going down. And if any of you are in the deep state, you're going down with it. I'm finding that you are disrupting this meeting. Thank you. We'll move on.